that stuff. Looks like third time's charm. Mmm. Three is a magic number. <laughs> of a franchise. This is episode 34, Friday the 13th, part 3D. I'm your host, Michael Voorhees, and thank you for joining me on this very cursed episode of Third Time's a Charm. It's got a death curse! As you know, this is more than likely the last year of my show here at Third Time's a Charm, and I'm not waiting for any special occasions to do certain movies anymore, and I kind of missed the chance to release this close to a Friday the 13th last month, but I'm not waiting around until later in the year to release this episode the next time Friday the 13th rolls around. So here it is. Today I welcome back Dan of the Dead Cologne, here in his official capacity as Horror Consultant. We will talk about all sorts of horror-related stuff and dive deep into Jason himself. What makes him tick? What makes him talk? What makes him knock off blocks? As I mentioned in the show you're about to hear, this may not be the best movie in the franchise, but it's super important in certain regards, and actually this does happen to be one of the ones I like more and more. Then again, my favorite Friday the 13th is when Jason goes to space, so who am I to say really? So without any further ado, grab your hockey mask, a pair of 3D glasses, and pump that new funky-ass theme song, because we're headed to Camp Crystal Lake. So I wanted to tell you just a really quick story before we get into this. Yeah. Um, like a month ago, uh, an exterminator came over, and after he was done checking out the house, we were sort of talking, and he's like a younger kid, and he, he saw my shirt. I was wearing a Camp Crystal Lake t-shirt, uh-huh. and he goes, hey, I used to work there. I go, oh, no shit. Oh, at the actual campground? Yeah. So like the one that's like still open that the kids still go to is, uh, I guess, where they filmed some of the original film, some of the original movie. And he was telling me the story. He goes, you know what the most common thing that would happen is people would like in their trucks, they would like rush the gate and drive down to the lake as fast as they could and fill up water jugs and then bust out of there and take that as like their token of Camp Crystal Lake. <laughs> it's like, Oh, that's interesting. Isn't that something? I never heard of that before. I feel like I would do something like that or, or steal some uh, sand from the beach. Either one I would probably do. But yeah, that's awesome. I know that the campground is still a functioning Boy Scout camp, so they're not open for tours and whatnot, but they recently they have started to embrace their history, and 
And once a year, maybe they will organize an event where people can come and they will do tours. You can camp there and it's very expensive. So that's why I've never had a chance to do it. But they now sell memorabilia on their website. The cabins that are in that original movie have since been demolished and and rebuilt, so they don't exist anymore. But the wood that was used, or or the wood that was taken from from those old cabins was then repurposed. And I have a keychain that is a little piece of wood that came from one of those cabins. And you can can get other things like that online. Yeah. That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah, I always wanted to get up there. Still haven't made the trip yet, but that would be a lot of fun. Like, I plan to go and check out the diner and check out that spot where that the, the one girl gets sort of dropped off. Or, or where she finds her ride, actually. Oh, yeah, like the hitchhiker. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like the train tracks and just the general store. Yeah, there's enough up there that it would justify a trip, even though the camp itself would be off limits. A day trip. Not a night trip up there. I'm not going up there at night. Not on a rainy night either. Yeah, especially. So, Dan, welcome back so soon. And in your, you know, in a more official capacity here, you know, as my horror consultant, we are here to talk about the Friday the 13th series, in particular, Friday the 13th, part 3D. Yeah, this came out at that time in the early 80s when a lot of movies were being released in 3D. Oh, yeah. So I think like the second episode of my show is Jaws 3D. Sure. And that was right, right, right around this time. So, yeah, I know like Amityville. Like, yeah, it's a huge thing, man. I mean, but this wasn't like Jimmy Cameron's 3D with the blue people. This was like old school stereophonic. Correct. 50s technology. Yes. Yes, 100%. And um, I actually watched this movie in its 3D format in preparation for this episode. The DVD and the Blu-ray usually comes with both. I happen to have a pair of the the like the old style 3D glasses, so I figured why not. And it's predictably terrible, but um, <laughs> like as a novelty kind of thing, it's fine. Some people I know get headaches from it. I thought it was okay for what it was. But yeah, this is clearly like the most basic antiquated 3D technology that there's ever been. So is, there are moments where it works okay. There are most most of the time it's it, it seems sort of chintzy and terrible. But um, I kind of love the novelty of it, personally. So I watched it in 2D, but I thought that the 3D, like the, the times when the 3D effects were supposed to work the most were extremely charming. Like, you know, it was back in a time when yo-yos were coming at you from the screen or eyeballs were popping out of heads and spears flying across the frame and it's really fun to watch it in 2d seeing all of those moments designed for 3d as well inside of it yeah it, it's really kind of funny it's it's like almost as if they just they put no thought into the the secondary market you know when this thing went to home video how they were gonna keep this thing going but i love how much they just really lean into the 3d aspect of it i think that's what i love so much about this time period as as arguably tacky as it is i love it and I'm glad to see that this movie really leaned into it. And like, there are all these really stupid, pointless shots that are just in the movie to make use of that 3D. When you go see 3D movies now, it's not the same. You know, you go see a movie that's in 3D and it really just adds a layer of depth to the screen. They're really not embracing the format and the inherent tackiness that comes with it. And sort of reminds me of um, the one movie we saw together. We saw My Bloody Valentine 3D. And that to this day holds up as my favorite 3D 
theatrical experience because that movie really uh, embraced the 3D part of it. And then you've got these ridiculous shots of stuff coming at the screen for no reason, you know. So this movie tends to not be very high on a lot of fans' lists. I don't necessarily think it's a great Friday the 13th movie. It is in my, like, the top half of my rankings. I think that it gets extra points for just kind of going hard with the 3D warts and all. Definitely. And I mean, there are other reasons why this is sort of one of the more iconic Friday the 13th movies. I mean, maybe not the best, but certainly an important one for issues that we will get to soon. But I'm just curious in general where the Friday the 13th series ranks for you, how you feel about it in general, like across the board. Uh, for, for you know, Briefly for me, I like it a little more than the Nightmare on Elm Street stuff just because they get there, but at first it's really not like dependent on special effects and supernatural kind of things. It's it's more on like atmosphere and like gore effects and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, down the line, they get the space eventually. And he even fights Freddy in right. the movie. That's, it's pretty amazing. Right. But I, I love sort of like the lazy river effect of these films that set the atmosphere and then they just sort of become like a kill fest. Yeah. <laughs> basically. But how, how do you feel about this series overall? So, I mean, if, I guess if we're going to compare it to the other slasher franchise, franchises. Most people would put this up with Halloween and and Nightmare on Elm Street. I would say that overall, the Friday the 13th franchise is my favorite. Now, I say that, but at the same time, I think that John Carpenter's original Halloween movie is maybe my favorite slasher of all time. I think Wes Craven was ingenious with Nightmare on Elm Street, like in its inception. I think that as an idea and in the execution of those first couple movies is incredibly great. But they have some high peaks and very low valleys, those franchises. I think when they nail it, they really nail it. But then when they miss the mark, they're really terrible. Friday the 13th never really reaches those same heights or those valleys, arguably. Uh I think you could certainly make that case. But I think overall, as a franchise, you're going to get a much more consistent product with Jason Voorhees, at least in the first eight movies of the franchise. Once New Line took over, you could make a case that they really just ventured into bonkers territory. But I mean, eight movies, that's not bad. That's what I'm saying. I give Freddy like the first four and then I'm kind of out. Right. And even four is kind of pushing it for me. But those first three are are pretty good. And Halloween. I mean, we all know what happened. I mean, Halloween three, you were on that episode as well. It's I mean, it's an incredible film. But, you know, when they came back after that, the franchise tried to kind of rewrite the lore and get a little too deep into that kind of thing. And I, I feel like like Jason has always been very streamlined. You know, his origin after this movie really won't change very much. Right. Yeah, I think I think like first Halloween is probably the greatest slasher film. Freddy Krueger is of of those three franchises is maybe the best character when he's really working. He is far more terrifying in my opinion than the other two. But Jason Voorhees again has that consistency. I know what I'm going to get from a Friday the Thirteenth movie, even when they get a little bit strange, like adding a telekinetic character or <laughs> yes. you know like. Even when they when they try to bend the rules a little bit, Jason Voorhees as a character is always very consistent and you're always going to get like fun kills and whatnot. Like, so I put the franchise at the top of those three. Yeah. 
Cool. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. Like I I kind of like how formulaic it is. How it's almost the same movie every time with just a new cast of characters. Like that. I, that that's like the one thing about like these horror movies that sort of comfort me. You know what I'm right. saying? Is like I, the predictability maybe of it all. But uh, I I also love how you know the movie the the series does try to divert a little bit after this one with four, five, and six. It sort of turns into the Tommy Jarvis trilogy. Right. Part six. It's the third in another. trilogy trilogy it's weird man like what happens <laughs> to this series in the timeline and because technically this movie takes place in like 1980 you know only moments after the second movie which took place only moments after the first movie right so i love i love how it's basic and it really doesn't try and stray too far and um you know down the line you're right it's like let's put him in new york let's put him in hell let's put him in space it gets a little far-fetched but until then i'm, I'm pretty happy with yeah, totally. Now let's get into this one. Uh, this is a big, big movie for Jason. Uh, I ended up watching part two before this, just to, just to like sort of reimmerse myself, I guess, a little bit into the world. And uh, this does start with the last seven minutes of part two. Not all of them, and they do. It's like Back to the Future, right? Yeah. Dan, it starts with the girl finding Jason's mother's severed head and sweater putting it on and then giving him the old machete in the neck in the original in part two what happens is she sort of hallucinates this whole thing where she goes back to the cabin and the maskless jason jumps through a window and grabs her yep and then she sort of wakes up in the care of paramedics in part three they do like a like a little bit of a retcon jason like you kind of see like this extra footage where he like takes the machete out and throws it on the ground. It's just like crawling away before the opening credits start. Yes. What did you feel about this going on here? Yeah, I mean, this is a trend throughout a lot of these 80s franchises. I seem to re recall it happening a little more in horror films in general, but you're right. The exact same thing that happens in, in Back to the Future Part 3. I mean, this movie came out, what, a year after the previous film yeah and this they did the same thing with the previous movie and i was also thinking you know this is sort of right after this movie i guess is when vhs stores started popping up so like you i feel like you couldn't really go out and see part two before seeing part three you know you had to have like caught it in theaters so you probably didn't remember very much sure but at the same time these movies were being like cranked out year after year in pretty quick succession it seems strange to me to open the movie with so much of that previous movie. I don't even think I need that cold open. If I'm being honest, we get it. There's nothing about that scene that ties into the rest of the movie at all. All it does is tell us that it happens right after. Actually, it doesn't even really do that because there's no like six weeks later. We don't really know how much time has passed between the events of the end of part two and where this movie picks up in part three. There's there's nothing to establish that at all. I think you missed the very short throwaway line on the television set that mentioned something in the opening scene after the credits when the woman at the store, Maud, I guess, I don't know, I called her Maud because her husband's name is Harold, but she's watching TV and they mention murders oh, at the lake yes. and, and one survivor. Okay, okay, you're right. So simple to miss. You know, I've seen this movie like eight times over the course of my life or nine, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I was looking for everything this time around. But either, either way, there's no connection from the previous events and this 
new movie, right? That none of the characters are related to the old characters. They have this sort of shoehorned character who, you know, had an, supposedly had an experience with Jason Voorhees years ago. Yeah, it has nothing to do with the previous movie. So as far as I'm concerned, that cold open is completely unnecessary. I don't really get it. They, they could have opened with that little like roadside food stand shop scene and then boom credits it's a trend that again again i've seen in a lot of these movies from this time period so i'm not surprised i'm agreeing with you though because like you said like none of that ever comes back to mean anything later it doesn't really have any relevance to the rest of the story don't really even mention jason all that much in this movie really to be honest with you i don't even think they're they're all that aware that anything bad's going on out here i think we could have just started with these um grown-ups which i think is interesting because including the opening credits it's like 10 minutes you know what I'm saying? Like the movie in, in and of itself is only going to be about 80 minutes for us now because of all that extra opening stuff. Right. I got to ask, since you watch it in 3D, how were the Superman credits? We get First we get the new song. How do you feel about the new song? And then were the credits effective in 3D? So the song is, I mean, who, who doesn't love that disco theme song? It is bad in all of the best ways. And people who, people who love movies like this will certainly understand understand what I mean by that. It is an oddity. It makes no sense, but it is fun to listen to. It's tacky and I love it. So the, the song definitely hands down incredible. Uh, I did consider getting the, uh, the Mondo vinyl release just for that reason. But as for the credits themselves, Oddly enough, the movie doesn't become 3D in earnest until after the credits. What? No way, because those credits are designed in 3D. Like, they're 3D watching it in 2D. I know, but so I don't know what the original theatrical experience was. Probably disappointing. But I can tell you, when I popped in the Blu-ray, it did say, you know, the beginning of the movie would not be in 3D, but you will need your glasses. So, and and then there's nothing, there's no follow-up, like, put on your 3D glasses now. There's nothing. So, the movie starts, it's in 2D, you see the whole end of Friday the 13th Part 2, and then the credits start, and you can tell with the naked eye, they are not in 3D. They have a 3D effect, but they are not in 3D. And then the movie, in like the, the 3D effect in earnest begins right after those are over. I mean, I can't knock the movie for that. I would say that maybe that's a, a flaw of the uh, of the home entertainment version of this movie. Could be, yeah. But I know that I, when I had, I have a Blu-ray now, when I had the DVD, it was the same thing. So maybe it was that way in its theatrical release. Maybe it wasn't, but I think that uh, is a missed opportunity. Oh, most definitely, because I sat there laughing, going like, man, I wish this was in like good Jimmy Cameron type 3D and I could watch it for real because I bet these credits are like, right out of the gate i bet people were like oh it's working you know yeah. in theaters because <laughs> folks they look just like the opening of the superman you know the movie they're like elongated 3d sort of brick letters and stuff so yeah this episode will not be released in time probably there's a theater in philly that is going to be showing this movie in 3d oh i assume that it is a like an original 35 millimeter 3d print from the 80s i'm not entirely sure i know that i i will not be available which is why I can't remember the date. So like once I knew I wouldn't be able to go, I just sort of put it in the back of my mind. But yeah, I'm curious to find out what they're like what that opening credit sequence would look like in 3D if it was in fact in 3D. Well, I also love the song. I think the song is terrific. It never comes back in the series and it comes back in the movie when the kids go to town, it's playing at the grocery store. Yep. Like that was crazy. <laughs> yeah. 
but I love I love that. But speaking of grocery stores, I thought this was interesting because we're starting with adults, and I think this is the first one in three movies where we don't start with the kids going up to the lake for one reason or the other. Like we're actually starting with locals, right? Which I thought that was a nice touch. I thought it was nice that Jason is branching out from teenagers right here at the beginning, and these two are oh boy, folks, this does not accurately represent the citizens of New Jersey by any <laughs> means but this is more like the Beverly Hillbillies but it's great but I mean like it's insane right <laughs> love these two characters I mean yeah they're total they're total cartoons well I, I, I've never been to Blairstown so I have no idea what the fine people of Blairstown are like but I would say that they are cartoony versions of what you might find in the Pine Barrens where I'm from so I, mean, I should rephrase I'm not from the Pine Barrens but I am from South Jersey like right near the Pine Barrens so you know like I very close proximity to those types of people and again I don't think this accurately represents them but I think you could find people not too far off from this couple. I'm kind of glad that they get it so horribly because they're just so terribly portrayed. You know what I mean? Like you just, you just, they're just asking for it, right? Like they're, <laughs> you're on Jason's side here. Yeah, they they make them clearly sort of scumbag people. At least the husband. I think that his wife is her biggest crime is maybe being naggy, which in the early '80s was bad enough to to warrant a death sentence. But I think he does some things that are clearly just horrible. He walks through his store just like eating stuff off of the uh, shelving and putting it back. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just a gross, inconsiderate human being. And so we, we don't care that he gets killed horribly. I think he gets a meat cleaver to the face and then Maud gets it from behind somehow. But Jason right out of the gate with the cutlery. Yes. You know, some of his favorite weaponry. You know, loves those blades. Yeah, I, I know that Jason is most well known for his machete. And I believe that the machete becomes his signature weapon in this movie. I did not watch the first two in preparation for this. So I can't remember specifically, but I think it is this one. But yeah, I, I love him most when he's on the fly, just using whatever is at his disposal. And of course, that, that continues in the franchise. But yeah, I love him most when he's doing that. He is kind of MacGyver-like in that way, where he just sort of like looks around and is like, this will kill him. Uh, I do also think you're right. This this movie, we will get sort of the fully formed Jason Voorhees image that will last pretty much for the rest of his life. He's not quite alive. He's sort of like, it's hard to say. He's still technically alive. Yeah, he is in this one. Yeah, yeah he is in this one. He will die for real in the next one. But yeah, then he becomes a sort of like supernatural Frankenstein. What's interesting about the machete is that was his mom's weapon. Right. So in the first movie, everyone died pretty much by machete. And then in the second movie, at the end, it's sort of on his little altar with his mom's head and sweater. It's her machete also. And the final girl in that picks it up to to kill him with it. Yep. You know, and then I was saying earlier, they inserted the shot of the, in this movie of him sort of taking it out of his shoulder and like crawling away right. and stuff. So right. yeah, I love the machete as well. So let's see, like 16 minutes and we're finally getting some teenagers. Yeah. 
Yeah, it takes a while. I I kind of, as far as it goes, like I, I only ha- really have one problem with these kids, and it's that all the girls look alike. Sure. Like there's like four brunette girls, you know, and like super cute, and it's like I I'm really having trouble up, up front telling them apart. But other than that, yeah, I'm I'm kind of digging the intro to these people. We, I know we're gonna get to Shelly, but uh, <laughs> what are some of your impressions of these kids? One of the biggest problems I have with this movie is that the the cast of non Jason Voorhees characters, or at least the core group, I should say, are largely sort of bland stock archetype characters. Except for Chrissy, who won't shut the hell up about this experience she had at Camp Crystal Lake when she was a kid. They're all kind of interchangeable. I think that's uh, a big reason why I'm grateful for characters like that roadside shop owner, the biker gang. For what little purpose they serve in this movie, they're they're different and they're they're very broad characters of course but you know they have a specific identity these kids that i'm maybe supposed to care for like i just can't tell a lot of them apart Um, except of course for shelly which you know i think we'll be talking about now just real quick the only other people you can really tell the difference of is there's like a hippie guy like who's right, really stoners, decked out yeah. like he's part of the Grateful Dead. Yeah, like the stoners. Yeah. But it's weird to me that they don't have like all the demographics sort of represented. Like the first two movies, the final girl was a blonde girl, so I'm surprised they didn't put one here to sort of throw you off the trail. Yeah, right. It just sort of feels like, oh, they're just they're all gonna go. Like they're all cannon fodder. Yes. You you're right about like the sort of interchangeability of them all, except for maybe Shelley. Shelly is a very interesting character, maybe because he's, like, one of the only characters, like, in this movie. If you take my meaning, you know, based on what we were sort of just saying about the rest of these kids. Yes. How, like, they're not really there. There's not very much to them. At least with Shelly, they're trying to go for something. Yeah. But how is, is that working for you? So I actually wrote a note on my notepad that said, I kind of relate to Shelly. <laughs> as sad as that might be. <laughs> you don't look anything like him, so I don't know how. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not where I'm going with that. It's just he's kind of like a, a dweeb who has, he lacks confidence. You know, he just wants people to like him, but he's really into the things he's really into, and no one really gets it. And uh, I saw a little bit of myself in Shelley, if I'm being honest. Now, I think he, of the core group of characters, he's certainly the most fully fleshed out. Again, he's a cartoon, like a lot of these characters who who stand out are. But I think that even if he weren't the guy responsible for Jason getting his most iconic costume piece, we would still remember him long after this movie is over. And in some ways, he kind of reminds me of Franklin from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, although... Oh, okay. Although I like Shelley a lot more than I love Franklin. Franklin is annoying and, and whiny and he's a pain in the ass. Shelley, at least, he's endearing. You know, he's a he's a good dude. He's just really awkward and doesn't know how to talk to girls. And I don't think that's necessarily a crime. That's how I would say I relate to, to, to <laughs> Shelley. <laughs> that's what I mean. That's what I mean. I think that the people who were going to see these movies were, uh, by this point, you know, it's the third movie, they were horror geeks. And I mean, it, this movie knows who it's playing to. I think Shelley is is one of those people. The movie itself features Fangoria magazine with an article about Tom Savini, no less, and Godzilla. Yeah, and Godzilla's twenty fifth anniversary. <laughs> yes. So I picked up on that, and and I so I think this movie is is playing to that crowd, and I think Shelley is their connection, right? I think. Yeah, because Shelley is 
also like a visual effects guy as well, right? Like he's doing the makeup right. effects. He put an axe in his own head. And that's something that in the next movie, they're really going to run with with Tommy Jarvis, played by a young Corey Feldman, yes. where he is like as monster mask kits and ma- is a makeup artist as part of his young character. Yes. And I love when movies have like a main character be that sort of because when, when, when a movie wants to have a character who's like really into films, they're usually like director types. I love when that nerd film nerd character is like a makeup kid you know just because i love practical makeup effects i never got it really got much of a chance to do them myself i did take a makeup class in in college which was a lot of fun but i never like really expanded upon that in any kind of way but i always love that sort of it's sort of like the bass player in a rock band, you know, like you need the bass player, but the girls don't fall in love with the bass player. I, I look at the makeup guy as kind of that guy. You need the makeup, you need the really cool uh, effects, but most of the time that person is ignored or, or not seen or, or whatever. And I love those types of characters. So I think that's another reason why I really gravitate towards Shelley. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I love the point of like, he definitely represents a lot of people watching these movies that are like, oh, I want to do this when I grow up. And these are sort of like, you know, maybe I could work on the next Friday the 13th. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Like a kid sitting there watching this thinking that is a possibility. Yep. I also love, love how he's used plot wise. Like it kind of frustrated me, but then I realized that's the point is that he's like the ultimate red herring. Yes. Right? Like he he's like uh, the boy who cried wolf. Yes. Ultimately. And like fakes his death like three or four times and like scares the shit out of a couple girls and and gets yelled at and stuff so that when Jason actually does start attacking you get those great moments where people think it's him or don't take him seriously <laughs> and there's like that extra sort of shock to their deaths yeah totally and and as a as a horror movie fan like if I was going to be in a horror movie I would definitely want to get a cool death scene and I think Shelley gets that you know like I think that uh, if if he is our our surrogate within this story you know like us he gets a really cool death so we don't actually see him get his throat slit but when he comes on screen with his throat slit it is like the creme de la creme of the makeup work in the movie you know it's the money shot right and it's great that they gave it to him it's so great (laughs) yeah totally oh so this is what i thought was kind of interesting is uh and it never really hit me is that i think like not many of these movies take place at Camp Crystal Lake. They take place on Crystal Lake, but there's like all these different summer homes and houses and residences and things like that. Uh, and apparently, this one is uh, Chrissy's old family getaway called Higgins Haven. Did you catch that? It's like a sign that says Higgins Haven. Yes. I never caught that before, um, and I love it. I was like, wow, there's Crystal Lake, there's Camp Crystal Lake on Crystal Lake, but then there's also Higgins Haven on Crystal Lake as well. And I think there's like a um, like a rehab facility on the other side of the lake in one of the other movies. <laughs> there's yeah. all kinds of crazy shit going on there. Crystal Lake is huge, apparently. <laughs> And if you've seen Jason Goes to Manhattan, Crystal Lake connects to the Hudson River somehow. Yeah. Don't know how. <laughs> but they take off on a boat in Crystal Lake and end up in Manhattan. You tell me. It's magical. I feel like I should bring this up, but like a fun fact about New Jersey is that down here in South Jersey, there is a Crystal Lake. There is no Camp Crystal Lake, but there is a Crystal Lake and there's like a um, private like pool 
there you know you can buy a membership like there's that sort of a community there but yeah we've got a crystal lake down here which i think is super badass i mean that's another thing i like about the series though is like oh we just stick by the lake but they don't always have to be a camp because i i love like in part six i think maybe there the camp is actually like open and there's children in the movie in peril and like part of that's great but the other part is like i don't know that kind of like doesn't i'm not sure i feel like it should just be them getting ready to open the summer camp or something like this where it's like you know adjacent to the lake kind of thing like it never occurred to me before that it only needs to be the lake that's haunted it doesn't have to be the campsite itself or something sure jason's got a lot of places to roam around a lot of territory of course I, I i like it because for all the talk of camp crystal lake six is the i think the only time where we actually get to see it up and running with with campers you know there and which adds a whole new dynamic to that story because if you remember there's a scene where where jason like has the opportunity to slaughter a bunch of children and he doesn't do it he's better than anakin skywalker folks that's right. So yeah, I think that if they were going to go back to the camp, then I think they did a pretty good job with it in that it was like open and functional and it at least gives the, the screenwriters a little more uh, to play with. But um, yeah, I do I do like that it's they're not all camp movies. They're all just connected to this one lake, this one area's town. I often wondered if that's why they're having trouble sort of redoing doing the next one because there's 12 of these movies and there should be 13 and sort of my OCD has been on edge for years now just waiting for this 13th one to come about and and i know the last one had nothing to do with camping it was more of just like a lake house but i i wondered if they're like how can we work it back around to do summer camp and like they're getting stuck on that and i just you know well i know jason Voorhees as a character is tied up in copyright disputes and oh no there's all kinds of legal nonsense yeah that's well, they could always use roy to bring back roy <laughs> That would be amazing. Roy from part five. <laughs> yeah, there, but there's a um, there's some sort of legal dispute there, and that's why Friday the 13th has been tied up as long as it has been. Because I think the last time we saw Jason Voorhees was in 09, and it's 2020. That's crazy. The closest we got was that video game that came out, which I never really got a chance to play, but from what I've seen, it was pretty awesome. That did look cool. But I think even that was, was eventually affected by the lawsuit, I think. Oh, like downloaded content had to be halted or things like that? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not specifically sure about what's going on. I know there's a bunch of legal drama, and, and honestly, we're the ones suffering for it. So I hope they get it straightened out seriously i mean i want i want everyone to kind of get the money that they're owed for creating this character and this franchise but right at the same time the longer it stays in in limbo like this the the fewer friday the 13th movies we get so okay so we're at higgins haven we meet chrissy's boyfriend she's like oh she's alluding to this thing that happened two years ago that's gonna be her entire bag everyone's just kind of like hanging out having fun part of this reminded me a little of like wet hot american summer because the people are like who wants to go to town and like two of them go to town they get into like an altercation with the biker gang at the sort of quick stop and the biker gang like the three punks that make up this biker gang like follow them back to higgins haven and uh and like try to murder them <laughs> yeah it's wild in a, in a lot of ways this movie reminded me of that movie that came out a few years ago the final girls have you seen that 
Oh yeah, yeah. I really did. I liked that. Like one. I think that that movie was directly influenced by the Friday the Thirteenth franchise. And having watched this movie again, I feel like this might be arguably the most direct influence of all the different entries in the Friday the Thirteenth franchise. This is one that felt most like that one, even though it's not set. This one's not set at a campground. I could be wrong about that. It's been a while since I've seen a couple of the others, but like, I really got those same vibes. And I think it's because it like, again, like you said, it feels a little bit like wet hot American summer in the way that they structure it. Okay. So like wet hot American summer, takes place at, on the last day of a summer camp and everything. And I know we just, I just went through this whole thing, how this is not camp or anything like that, but just the, the feel, the vibe of them sort of hanging out, goofing off. Right. It feels kind of self-aware to me, you know, I think because of the 3d stuff, right? Like immediately we're getting like, like the yo-yo or the, uh, oh no, like it's the guy, it's the new old man because the uh, the first old man about the death, the death curse old man dies in part two. So we get a new old man. A new harbinger. Yes, a new harbinger. <laughs> and he like, he holds that eye up to the screen. Mm-hmm. We're going to get like the yo-yo immediately. We're going to get the bales of hay at the barn that's adjacent to their house. Um, so it feels kind of goofy. And I, and that's what I was sort of meaning by that. I, I feel like it's disarming me basically is where, where I'm going with it. Yeah. Um, oh, I'll, sure. I'll just tilt my hand and say like, I think the last 20 minutes of this movie are kind of amazing. And I think this is throwing me off the track. Like some of this early stuff. Right. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think that's part of what I was getting at with my comparison of the final girls. Cause that movie is so broad with a lot of its characters. This movie is very broad with the characters and the tone is a little more light until shit hits the fan. But yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with a lot of the points you just made. I like how the, that like Pee Wee Herman moment, I mean, it, I always think of it as like a Pee Wee's Big Adventure moment where he knocks over all the motorcycles. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So like Shelly kind of does that with the punks, his car like knocks into their shit and they like wreck his car and stuff. So they follow, these three punks follow them back to the campgrounds or wherever, I mean, to the, to the lake house. And I don't know if you, caught this they like they're emptying the gas from their truck and they're gonna burn the barn that was their big plan is to like burn the barn down i guess with them with people in it maybe but what ends up happening is that jason takes out all of them before the kids even realize they've been followed back to the lake house yeah i made a note about the biker characters i i realized in that moment that the only reason they're in this movie at all is to give it some more padding and prolong the deaths of these main kids because they don't serve any other purpose. They're, they're, they show up, they are cartoony bikers, and then they're dead before they really have a chance to do much of anything. And then, you know, 45, 50 minutes into the movie when they're dead, okay, now we've got the kids alone and Jason's going to go ham on them. But yeah, I think that might have just been uh, a screenwriting effort to crank out some more some more minutes to fill the time. So it's really weird because the second movie has a glaring plot hole that this kind of reminded me of. In the second movie, a group of kids and two of the, like the counselors, they go into town and have a bunch of drinks. And then the counselors go back, but like two or three kids stay behind and they're like, hey, where's like the after hour spot? And then you never see them again for the rest of the movie. Like they survived. They never went back to camp. They have no idea anyone got murdered and they just never come back in the movie. And so this kind of felt like that, where it's like, maybe you don't know you're necessarily writing yourself into a hole like that, but 
what's extra funny is that at the very end of the movie, one of them is just going to pop out of like nowhere as if he's been waiting and just get like chopped to bits. It's so bizarre. I, I thought it was more of sort of that self-aware stuff, but I think you're, you, you've got it where they're like, we just need more, uh, more kills, more sort of uh, more padding. Right. Yeah. Of course, one of them is still alive later in the movie. So he gets his moment to, you know, surprise the audience. But imagine being that guy. Like he just hid in the barn. Right. For the rest of the day. Yeah. Okay. He's bleeding out or passed out or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make a whole lot of logical sense. Yeah, so I was a little bummed about that because I, I, I remembered them lasting longer and interacting with the actual kids, but I guess I'm getting that mixed up with another part down the line. Yeah, you know what's funny? Uh, I think about their existence in this movie, and it reminds me of, like, do you remember those old, like, beach comedies from the 60s? Oh, yeah. That would have bikers in them for no reason. You know, like, the movies involved surfing and beach parties, but then there would be a gang of bikers. This movie has that same exact gang of bikers for the same reason. They just needed more stuff to happen to make the movie longer (laughs) what i really kind of admire about this movie is that it is sort of just like a um like a checklist film but in 3d so and i don't mean that like in a bad way because i think it actually works at it for its benefit where they're like listen let's not try anything like too crazy here let's sort of go through the motions let's have fun with it and because like we know we're gonna be 3d and we're gonna be scaring people and people are gonna sort of be unnerved about it let's like try and keep them laughing a little bit or at least like let's not necessarily try and scare the shit out of them let's like more or less just put them on a ride and let them have some fun with this one you know what i'm you know where i'm getting at like oh for sure nothing really groundbreaking as far as the sequences and all that it's just people getting taken out for the most part but it's fun yeah i think the 3d element of this definitely it undermines the horror of the story it just inherently by it by it being in 3d and having that sort of silly novelty quality like this movie is not going to be terrifying so i think that they definitely recognize that and then they leaned into that sort of more lightheartedness kind of fun vibe which is why we get these kind of cartoonish broad characters I mean these stoners they're one step removed from Cheech and Chong you know they exist just to be kind of silly archetypes and then they're going to die horribly so yeah I don't think that this is going to be the most effective horror movie but definitely one of the more fun entries in this franchise in my opinion so I definitely, you know, remembered Shelly from this, but I did not remember Shelly wearing the hockey mask and using the spear gun. Like, that jarred me. I was like, oh, shit. Like, I can't believe, like, he's the one who sort of passed it on to Jason in a way. Yeah. I, I feel like that is some deep bar trivia or something. You know what I mean? Like, where did Jason Voorhees get his mask? Uh, Shelly? Yeah. <laughs> that is so awesome. But it's an hour into the movie or it's about 55 minutes until we see the actual hockey mask on Shelly but then it's about an hour until we see it on Jason and Jason's got the sort of army green jacket the machete the brown work pants and the hockey mask here he is in all of his glory finally like fully formed Jason Voorhees as we know and love yeah I mean so I mean I didn't watch these movies growing up i came to them much later but i mean he's so ingrained in popular culture that everyone knows the jason Voorhees in the hockey mask that that, that 
quintessential look. To see it played out so kind of just, they almost throw the moment away. They very clearly didn't know that this was going to be the iconic look. Isn't that amazing? You can feel it, right? That they're not like ready to bring him back with the hockey mask necessarily right away. Like it's just a one-off, it feels like. Right, because every movie since then, you know, there's the hockey mask became a moment in this it's just so downplayed and i think i heard somewhere i can't i wish i could i could give some credit to where i heard this but my understanding is that you know in, in part two he had the he had the, the burlap sack and this he had the hockey mask my understanding is that they were going to have him wear like different things to disguise his appearance i don't necessarily know that they wanted to get stuck with the same problem that michael myers had and that like he became synonymous with that white mask but i think that people just connected with it it took on a life of its own and then they just couldn't separate him from that mask i, I mean i could be totally wrong about that uh, i would love to know uh, from people if there's a different story but yeah i think that the the idea was to have him wear different things to obscure his face because you know he is disfigured so the, the plan was always going to be to hide his face the hockey mask stuck there's just something so basic and blank and threatening about I mean, it works. It's very similar to the shape, I guess. But um, there's something about, like, everyone knows hockey. You know what I mean? Like, everyone... And, and it just doesn't necessarily strike you as something threatening, per se. Like, it's protective gear, right? right? right. Like, there's kind of a nice thing about that where it's like, again, with the disarming kind of thing, like, you wouldn't necessarily... Uh, like immediately be afraid of this but uh it's certainly imposing i like the simplicity of it you know especially considering how weird jason looks underneath it not just in this movie or the last movie but going forward like he's gonna get more and more disfigured yep. so it's kind of nice to know that he has like this blank that he can like put over that yeah. in a lot of ways you know that there's no feature necessarily to it whatsoever uh it's a nice contrast to sort of like his deformity but it is it is one of those like accidental strokes of genius you know like i mean as much as they did not want to get pigeonholed like i'm sure you know after a while they're thanking their lucky stars because this is exactly the kind of thing people nowadays are stretching so hard i feel to do like you know the past like whatever 20 years or whatever like i try and think of iconic new horror people and you know like jigsaw like you know what does he have like i don't know like a puppet on a tricycle like you know what i mean like what are the sort of new monsters and icon like how can you instantly recognize these new monsters and i guess you kind of can't yeah i think i think he definitely continued the trend of having that sort of iconic mask uh, which michael myers started you know He's definitely guilty of of keeping in with that tradition. I kind of, I almost wish. I mean, I, he, he, it's so iconic now, and it, it's almost impossible to divorce him from that mask. But I, I would love to know what this franchise would have been had they stuck to that plan, or, or or had they tried new things with the mask. People get get used to something, you know. They fall in love with something, and as we know from Star Wars, if they don't get that thing that they really want, that specific thing, the way they want it, they turn on it. And that hockey mask resonated with people. And I think that maybe they were afraid to try something new. I, I don't know. I would love to hear more about that.
Yeah, it's tough, right? Because you look at like the Halloween series and like they tried to do something different and then they ended up going back after three. And then now it's like when they're they're back now, right? With like in 2018, he came back. But look, it's like, it's almost like the same. Like he doesn't look, you know, it's the same mask. It's literally the same mask, like the character yes. used to wear. Nothing's really changed at all. And you look at Freddy, you know, I really like that, that new Nightmare on Elm Street they did. But, and it's not like they really redesigned Freddy Krueger, but it's like, oh, Robert England's not playing him. I'm not going to watch it. It's like crazy how the the devotion or or whatever is so it's like you kind of can't bring jason back without the mask now you know i would love for them to come back friday the 13th no mask like holy shit like when's the mask gonna come maybe in the next like second or third movie but like that would be great but i just don't see it happen yeah i think the only thing that they could get away with other than the hockey mask is the burlap sack like that baghead jason has its own fan base I've come to really love that movie a lot. I think I rank it pretty high in the franchise, but it's easy to hate on the burlap bag, but that movie is just so damn good that, you know, you sort of forgive the bag and you sort of come to fall in love with that bag. So I think they could definitely do that. But I mean, yeah, if they're not going to do the hockey mask, that's the only other option. So it's really funny, like about a year or two ago, or maybe two or three years ago, one of my nephews was really into like the new Ninja Turtles cartoon. And this is before they came back. This was like the CGI ones. Yeah really cool ones and one episode you know how like the turtles they go out into the woods every once in a while they get away from it and they have like a farmhouse and they go training and they they do it in the movie and stuff they run into I think they call him Baghead and it's like it's basically Jason he's like (laughs) he's like this big hulking creature in the woods wearing a sack over his face with one eye visible and it's definitely a reference which you know no no seven year old is ever gonna get at the time but you know their uncle's gonna love it <laughs> so. that's fantastic oh you know i wanted to ask earlier but we kind of moved away from it so quickly you know last episode we talked about back to the future we talked about the video game before that brian was on we were talking about karate kid we were talking about the video game did you ever play the friday the 13th nintendo video game for the nes i played a little bit of the nes game not as much as uh, some people so i i can't give you too much on that like it's just yeah it wasn't much a part of my life but i did i think i did try it just to see what it was all about but i didn't grow up with it all right i've seen people play it online and it looks hard as hell uh it was not in my collection i'll tell you that much yeah, I, but I do love that the NES Jason cosplay has become more popular. I th- and that might be partially just because people love that NES game. He's like a purple Jason. Yes. I've seen, like, they have, like, a toy of it as well. He's got a purple jumpsuit, and he's got, like, a, a turquoise mask, and he wields a, a, an axe instead of a machete. It's very strange. But I know that uh, he was incorporated into the new Friday the 13th game, like as one of those like downloadable characters. The NES Jason has really come back uh, in a big way. I have a friend, Nate, who that's his cosplay. When he goes to cons, he gets excited to show up as NES Jason. And more often than not, I think he shows up as he's like the only NES Jason. I went to a con with him once and, and there were a whole, there was like a group of Jasons and they were all from like different movies. I think there was a, a Jason Lives Jason with the utility belt and the yellow gloves. Maybe a Jason Takes Manhattan Jason who was very like wet, covered in chains. And then there was my buddy Nate dressed as NES Jason and it was just like the coolest thing. That's awesome. I love that. I went and got myself a Jason mask to hang up as the Halloween wreath on my door. Oh, that's awesome. This year for Halloween. Uh, And then I put the Jason mask on a werewolf mask and hung it up in my living room and it looks awesome. It looks like werewolf Jason. (laughs) 
which I wouldn't mind watching that movie. He's already a Frankenstein monster. Why not make him uh, also a werewolf? He basically has invisibility too. You know, he sneaks around like the Invisible Man as well. So he's almost like all of them in one. That's true. All right, so we're approaching the finish line here. There's, there's been a lot of deaths in this. Like, they're all sort of, I don't want to say, like, they're, you know, none of them are really any better than the other or any. I mean, none of them really stand that much apart from me. I'd say the one that really stands apart is when Andy, who is the guy with the pregnant wife, apparently one of these girls is pregnant. Jason kills a pregnant woman. Yep. But that was odd that they had that in the movie. But I liked how Andy, her husband, was doing like this handstand walk and the door opens and Jason's there and he just does like the hardest swing possible right down between the middle of his legs. Yes. I thought that was a pretty uh, noteworthy kill. Yeah, I was going to say, if I were to do a top 10 kills of the franchise, this movie doesn't really have anything that immediately jumps to mind. They're all pretty fun, but like nothing quite so brutal and iconic as some others. But that wouldn't, would definitely go to the top of my list for this movie. I like that one because it's not 3D dependent on its punchline so right. uh like there's the one when i think vera is shot with the spear gun and it goes like right into her eye and you can see like the string and it's so charming right then i think uh who is it rick is outside and jason like crushes his head yes and his eye pops out oh oh, <laughs> oh. Yeah, that, that, that is a great scene where Chrissy, like, comes out looking for him, and we get that shot of, of Jason, like, around the corner with Rick, covering his mouth. Oh my god, I love that scene. Like, here's where the movie starts for me as, like, a horror film. Like, I love this final 25 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, where it's just Chrissy and Jason, because most of the movies are going to end like this with the face-off between the final girl and the monster the first movie you don't you know it's great because it's two girls battling each other right it's like a teenage girl and a middle-aged mom and they're beating the shit out of each other the second movie is cool because like it's jason and his victim is just trying to escape this girl like starts fighting back she pulls a knife out of her dead friend and tries to and starts stabbing jason with it like she's very proactive like she gets into the car um and tries to drive it away i love all this stuff with the car when jason gets his hands caught in the window and headbutts the window to break it and get his hands free like there's so many gags going on in in this end scene it's it's terrific yeah and and i think that uh, the 3d uh, element is definitely the thing for that and i think that's one of the highlights of this movie like again i I don't think that any of them stand out as like top 10 all-time kills necessarily but i do love the effort they made to really embrace the 3d part of this you know so many of these kills utilize it and um they're a lot of fun to watch I love the moment when um, Chrissy's like, she's in the cabin and she's like, Rick, where are you? Help me, help me. And Jason throws him through the window yeah. into the cabin. <laughs> that was wonderful. She runs upstairs and like throws the bookshelf on him and he gets like pummeled with all the books. And I thought that was pretty funny too. I was like, that's some smarts for you, Jason. And he's kind of smart because she runs upstairs and like closes a door, but runs into another door real silently. But then she like screams. And Jason knows, like, immediately where she is. And there's that great scuffle outside the window with the stuntman. Yes. 
Did you catch the wig changing and all that? No. It was terrific. Oh my gosh. So you have to go back and next time you're watching this, um, when Chrissy, she's hanging out of the window and Jason grabs her coat and it's clearly like a guy with a giant like metal wig on, like a rocker wig, like the stuntman. And then they cut back to Chrissy and then they cut back to the stuntman like fall and then they cut back to Chrissy like on the ground. I mean, it's like, it's like a scene right out of like, I'm going to get you sucker or something like that, or like airplane, not intentionally or anything, but just, you know, trying to hide the double. Oh, that's amazing. I didn't catch it. I'm going to definitely rewatch that scene. There's a great moment in, in this final chase where I think they're in the barn or something. And maybe it's a little earlier than that. And Jason and Chrissy are like face to face. And Jason like lifts up his mask as if to say, remember me? And like puts it back down. And Chrissy's like, it's you. It's, <laughs> it's the guy. That was amazing. That got the tension for me so perfectly. I love that moment. I think Jason is, you know, over the course of the franchise, he is not without a sense of humor. And I think that that is one of the things that I love about him. As, as sort of straight and scary as he is, he does have that sort of joke side to him, which is fun. And I think that's maybe a little bit of Michael Myers' influence because Michael is a little bit, he's got some arrested development there and, and he's definitely curious and, and whatnot. But yeah, I, I, I love that about him. It's hard when your guy can't talk, right? Like, I don't know why they ever made it so that Jason can't say a few words, you know? He looks like he should be able to form a, maybe not a complete sentence, but at least, like, shout, like, a couple words, right? Like, run or no or you know, I, I get you or, or something. Like, I understand why Michael Myers doesn't talk. And, you know, you can't get Freddy to shut the hell up at this point. So you have to try and do these other things to, to bring out his personality a little bit. And I definitely agree. I think, like, the way he reacts to certain deaths, the way he just sort of kind of finds things quizzical. Yep. You know, like, oh, you're dead now? Like, almost like King Kong. Yeah. And he's, like, hitting his food or something after he's killed it and doesn't understand why it's not fighting back anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I think in hindsight, we can be grateful for it because you mentioned Freddy Krueger. I think that part of what sucks about Freddy Krueger at times is that like they go too far with the jokes. And by limiting Jason to, to just actions and, and no dialogue, he's never going to be quite so silly. Um, and they can sort of drop him into anything. Like, the, again, we've established this is one of the sillier fr uh, entries in the franchise. And that's due to, you know, the rest of the cast. But Jason is as consistent as he always is. And I think that if we can rely on Jason to always be Jason, we can accept everything else around him. Yes. I don't, I don't know what the decision was to not give him dialogue, but I'm glad that that was the decision they ultimately went with. So basically, this leads us to the end here, pretty much. Like, after Jason and Chrissy have their sort of, like, mutual recognition, and and Jason must be like, oh shit, the one that got away. Like, thank God, I finally got, like, a chance to, to clear my record. Like, that's what I was thinking. I was like, it's kind of weird that he had this encounter with someone who got away, but I love this whole thing where, like, she smacks him over the head with a with a shovel and knocks him out and then puts the rope around him and, and shoves him off the barn and hangs him. That's really cool. Like yep. she's, that's a badass move. You know, it's not like she just hit him over the head and ran away. Like you see right. him in like so many other movies. And, and she gives him his signature cut in the, the mask. Yes. So that comes after where she goes down and, and he survives the hanging yep. and uh, slips the rope off and everything and comes back at her. But, she finds an axe and chops away right at his head. And that's a great shot, too, of him sort of like arms stretched out, reaching. Yes. 
And that plays well in 3D or as well as it can in this sort of antiquated 3D format. It's one of those shots that is A, iconic, and and B, I do think works pretty well, all things considered. Love that shot. Now, I should say, I should mention, uh, we sort of, we mentioned it a little earlier, but the reason that Chrissy was able to sort of find the axe and, and chop Jason right in the forehead is because that punk jumps out from nowhere. Yes. He had survived. And he's like, hey, Jason. And Jason immediately turns around and chops his hand off and just goes chop, chop, chop. And he <laughs> just keeps chopping the chop, chop. He's like he's like the freaking Ginsu chef over there just chopping away at that guy. Yep. And then Chrissy's like, hey, Jason, or whatever. And he's like, huh? And it's just like whack right in the forehead. Right in the face. But that's not all, actually, because, you know, it wouldn't be a Friday the 13th movie, at least at this point, if we didn't have one extra sort of coda, which is uh, which just sort of expands on how insane this poor final girl has become. And I think they do the best job out of all three movies with this with this fake out. I'm actually terrified when she wakes up in the boat and sees maskless Jason in broad daylight, blood streaming down his face. I am freaked out, man. <laughs> that is a sight. Yeah, I love how that's sort of become a meme in the years since. Oh, it has? I'm too old to know that. Yeah, not like a prominent meme or anything, but I've seen that gif on Twitter and and on Facebook uh, quite a bit in horror community conversation. Uh, but yeah, I, that, that shot of him sort of like recognizing her through the window and his face is all bloody and he's banging on the window trying to get out. Yeah, I love that. That is probably the one moment in the whole movie where I'm genuinely, like, scared. I'm like, I don't want to see that. It's because it's just something about it being daytime, and he's got the mask off, and it's just all the... He's fully exposed like that. It's just really really weird looking and then what they do is they do a reverse of part one and instead of okay, okay so let me just say in the end of part one there's a girl in the boat in the middle of the lake the final girl and baby or sort of like toddler jason jumps out of the lake and grabs her at the end of part two it's sort of the same thing the girl's out in the middle of the lake in a boat but grown-up jason jumps out of the lake and grabs her. Now in this one, the girl's out in the middle of the lake on a boat and Mrs. Voorhees, like yep. all zombified, gets out of the lake and grabs her. That was awesome. I really like that. And it sort of had like this nice symmetry with the re- with the other two movies as well. Yeah, I mean at this point audiences should should be expecting it, but I love so I love that the uh the the slight twist on that ending for sure i think that that was a brilliant move on, on their part it doesn't make any sense like i don't i don't think like it's just it's really just for pure shock value maybe a quick easy jump scare but i do love the sort of just the, the little twist they gave that that beat oh uh, you know what it does do though uh dan is it makes the ending of part two relevant because in the very beginning of the movie we see mrs Voorhees' head and sweater and the girl put on the sweater, and then at the end of this, we see Mrs. Voorhees jump out of the lake with her sweater on. So oh, it's as true. if they finally tied it together. We've got some bookends uh, with Mrs. Voorhees, for sure. My favorite is uh, this girl, like, she's so far gone. Like, I love when they're um, hauling her away, and she's, like, crying and laughing at the same time. Like, that is so hard to pull off, and I feel like this actress is doing it, like, so well like it's a shame that i can't differentiate her from the other women in this movie because i'd really like her to sort of stand out more because she i really liked her in this movie yeah i don't think that the fault is hers at all i think she does the best she can with the material she's got and i think she was just sort of not done justice with the script because she clearly had the ability to play this character uh really well 
But yeah, you're right. I think that, that final scene, she's she's selling it, man. So that'll do it. I'm just going to go down the kill list real quick. We have Julie and Chuck, who are the two hippies. We have Shelly. We have Vera, who is um, Shelly's sort of, you know, they tried to hook Shelly and Vera up. She was like the Latino girl because her mom was yelling at her in Spanish. <laughs> we have Rick, who is Chrissy's sort of boyfriend. We have Andy and his pregnant wife. We have the three punks. We have Harold and his wife, who might be called Maud. And so that's 12 kills. And I don't know if the new old man Harbinger was, was killed. I can't remember, but that would have made... I'm just going to go ahead and assume that he got murdered off screen and call it a, a nice clean 13. But it's quite a big kill list, I guess. I mean, it's Friday the 13th. You want to get at least, like, 12 or 13 kills. I think the trailer for the first movie was, like, it spoiled, like, all 13 kills, like, in the trailer <laughs> or something. So, you know, pretty pretty significant number. Dan, anything that we may not have mentioned that might be in your notes or anything that uh, we forgot that you uh, want to get off your chest about Friday the 13th? Not just part three, but, you know, if there's anything else about the series in general, um, should we do part three of the Tommy Jarvis trilogy as well one day? Let me know. But yeah, anything else you'd like to say? I think it'd be fun to revisit this franchise and do like the part three of Tommy Jarvis because part six is um, arguably the best in the franchise by a lot of uh, a lot of people would say that. I don't know that I would. I can't remember. I think I I think I rank four over six, but I definitely have six as number two. I want to say four is pretty much from what I understand. That's everyone's for the most part favorite. Mine is jason x for obvious reasons because he goes to space but that i i love four as well not just because of crispin glover's sick dance moves but like yeah the rest of it's good too for sure but um i would love to do six with you i don't know what else to say about this franchise i've, I've sold it as best i can you know like you know what you're gonna get with jason Voorhees. he's always gonna be jason Voorhees. like i, I can't think of a single movie where i'm like you know that would have been great if jason xyz you know like he always shows up and does what he's gonna do so yeah, I love him. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, he's not in the first one. I, mean, I don't know, many people, like, including myself for a very long time, was not aware of that because, you know, I had not seen the movie when I was a kid. In the se- It was funny watching the second one when they didn't quite know how they wanted him to behave. He reacts a lot differently in the second one, I think. Like, they, they weren't quite there yet with what they wanted. Like, he's still sort of more of a normal man, I think, in some regards. And in this one, they're, they're truly sort of getting away from... Humanity, or like him being, you know what I'm saying? Him having a, any humanity and trying to forge more of like a monster or a creature thing. And I think that's good. I think that's all for the best, what they're trying to do with this, because it gives him, like we were saying, it gives him an identity or it helps bring out an identity in him in other ways. That's that's tough, man. He's a silent film character, you know? So I think it's a testament, like him and Michael Myers, in this modern age of filmmaking, uh, not just to have them be predominant characters in movies, but like main characters in extremely popular horror franchises. Like, I think there's, there's something to be said about the horror of silence. Yeah, he, he definitely earns his place uh, among the pantheon of iconic horror characters. And, and man, it's just his physicality, man. That, that says a lot about how much they were able to do with him just, just with his physicality. He doesn't, I mean, he doesn't say a word. It's impressive. I pretty much put him, Freddy, Michael Myers, and... I don't know. I might some. I mean, just visual for visual sake, I'll throw like maybe Pinhead and some of the Cenobites in there. But they're sort of like I call them like the Silver Age like horror monsters. So like the Golden Age would be like the Universal dudes, you know, yep. like the Wolfman, Frankenstein, 
Invisible Man, Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, and then we got these guys. And, and, yeah, and I think that the, like, we sort of alluded to it, but I think Jason at least, but I, I would argue that the others do as well uh, to certain degrees, but they all kind of draw from those Golden Age monsters, from the Universal monsters and, and whatnot. Uh, I very much see Jason Voorhees as a Frankenstein monster uh, in a lot of ways, but uh, I think, again, he's he's a little bit creature from the Black Lagoon, you know, he lives in a lake for a lot of this franchise, and you know, so I, I think that, uh, yeah, they, they, they're definitely inspired by those old characters, which I love. Well, Dan, I just want to thank you one more time for joining me on Third Time's a Charm. You know, rumor has it this is the final year of Third Time's a Charm, so it's great that we're talking some big, major franchises this year. I got a couple more horror films that you could come back for. You don't have to just come back for the horror stuff, but, you know, we got to get to the aforementioned uh, Freddy Krueger himself. Yep. You know, I definitely got to do that. I'd love to do part six of this, which I've set a precedent with the Star Wars movies. So, you know, I've reviewed Return of the Jedi and Revenge of the Sith, and I intend on reviewing The Rise of Skywalker because they are all part threes of separate trilogies. Right. So there's also, I guess there might be a case to be made for Nightmare on Elm Street part five because there's sort of like three, four, and five are like the Dream Warrior trilogy, right. maybe. But we'll get there when we get there. Thank you very much for joining me again for Friday the 13th, and I look forward to having you back soon. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's always a pleasure. going to do it for this episode of Third Time's a Charm. As always, I gotta thank Dan of the Dead Cologne and look forward to having him back on to talk about some Freddy or some Pinhead in the near future. Catch Dan on last month's Back to the Future 3 episode and hear all my past episodes on cageclub.me as well as all 27 shows on the network. I think it's 27. Who really knows for sure? Joey does, probably, if anyone. At the moment, you can catch me and Joey on the Tom Tom Club, which is the Cruise Club and Hanks for the Memories, two separate feeds alternating every Friday because Fridays are for fun. Come hear us run down the careers of the two most famous Toms in film history, most likely. Yeah, everyone stay safe out there, and I'll be back soon with another great episode of Third Time's a Charm. But until then... That's a magic number. Yes, it is. It's the magic number. Three. Three may stub at me, and that's a magic number. What does it all mean?